Very, very good. Hey, um, how many of you heard something that Gary said this morning that we can all attain to in belief? Anybody remember something that he said this morning? All of us that believe God, believe in Christ? You're anointed. He said, you're, if you ever had doubts whether you were or not, or whether things like that were going on in you, or maybe Dan was anointed, or, or Gary's anointed, or Micah's anointed, but you didn't put yourself in that same thing. If you believe in Jesus Christ, and you, believe, you wouldn't be here if you weren't anointed. So, so the whole thing is, believe that you have the anointing of God in you. Um, there's, um, let's see, who could get that? Hey, John, do something for me. Get me 1 John 2.27. You got your phone? No phone? <laughs> who can get that for me? 1 John 2.27. Actually, start reading 26. Yeah, wear your glasses, John. <laughs> Carry those glasses with you everywhere, man. 226 and 27. You got a mic there too, John. These things I've written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it it has taught you, you shall abide in him. Wow. Isn't that cool? So what is that telling us? Is that telling us we have the anointing and that it abides in us? Who's the anointing? What does Christ mean? The anointed one. That's what Christ means. We keep thinking Jesus Christ is the first and last name. That's not what it is. <laughs> Jesus means the salvation of God. Okay, it, actually, it's the same word name that we see in the Old Testament of Joshua, Yeshua. Yeshua means Jesus. It, in the Hebrew, it's pronounced as Joshua. In the Greek, it's pronounced as Jesus. So it's the salvation of God, okay? And then Christ is the anointed one or the Messiah, okay? So that's what it is. There, there's a special thing there, but really Christ means anointed. So um, what we have to understand is that we are anointed. These are the things that, that we need to understand as we walk because we're going to have voices telling us we're not. We're always going to have voices telling us, that, well, if you did this, if you did that. In that song, did you notice that the guy said, even if you feel defeated, even if you feel discouraged, God's still an awesome God. God never changes. That we may change in our thoughts and our perceptions, even of ourselves. But he says, but what God says is that he's an awesome God. I am a good God. I am a great God. God says these things about himself. So if he has that uh, spoken to you in your heart by the anointing, then you have to understand that he is an awesome God. There's nothing greater than him, and he can perform all things. Um, I was thinking about, all the different things that we've been talking about. I thought about the righteousness that we talked about for so long. I thought about how as we build our faith, we build righteousness. Uh, I thought about how our conscience has been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. That's an important thing because if it isn't, if that blood, the sprinkling of the offering of the sacrifice, if that never touched you, then you're the instrument that has not been cleansed yet. You see how that works? 
What did the priests do? They would take blood and they would sprinkle it over the instruments that they were going to use in order to perform the service toward God. And it cleansed it. Well, we're the instrument now. And the, the blood of the sprinkling is that God, he shed his blood for us. That's his life is, is doing what? It's constantly changing our life. That's what it should be doing. Life is in the blood. So if the blood is your conscience been sprinkled by that, is it constantly changing your conscience, your, your inner man, your inner self? This is what's being changed. So we have to understand that this blood is very powerful. What it accomplished, what it did, cannot be done in human terms. What God did cannot be done in human terms, in human manifestation. It has to be done through the Spirit. Okay, that's something that you have to catch. I have a question up here, and I want you to think about it. What, what operations do you think Jesus performed when he died on the cross? We may not get all of them, but the, you should have an idea what sort of operations were performed for you while he was on the cross? What happened? Reconciliation. That is true. That blood was for reconciliation. I'm just going to put recon up here. What else, Terry? Really, you got access to the what? Right. The mercy seat, which is Christ. What else? What, when he died on the cross, what did he do? What operations were performed? That's a big one. I, I couldn't understand, but see if you can get her to say it again. Yeah, re- forgiveness. Uh, John said that one. We have forgiveness up here, but did, did he stop at forgiveness? Would he continue to? Forgiveness of sins, but then he did something else to the sins. Yeah, there's a term that you uh, go to Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38 and read it. It is. That all, what you're saying is right, but there's a special word that's used. Acts 2.38 says what? Yeah, that's true. What is it? Remission. He not only forgave, but he remitted. Does that make sense? Um, that's, that's the operation of belief after he's done these things. After he cruci- was crucified, what happened to us? It's part of what I'm going to talk about today. Um, right. Well, what do you, do you think that is, Ernest? Yeah, but what's being held captive now? He, he took us from, from the thing that kept us captive to, so what was the thing that kept us captive? What kept us captive for so long? Carnal mind, death, hell, all of those things kept us captive. For a long time. So he took that. Did he take on death and hell? Well, for sure. Conquered it, went into the grave, and came and resurrected. That's the whole power of resurrection, is that he overcame that. So here's the thing. If we're believers in him, are these operations going to be performed in us too? For sure. Part of that took captivity captive is that redemption. He became, what's that word? That you, it's such a propitiation. He became the propitiation. He became the, the ransom, as I have written down here, for our sin. So, so the reconciliation was this. We had something between us and God. Well, it was sin, wasn't it? We had gone through a fall. We had done our own thing, whatever. We, 
uh, and Adam all died. We followed the sin of Adam, everything. Um, so, but what did God have to do in order to get rid of that? He had to reconcile us back to him, right? So that was the ransom that was, that was paid. Actually, that's part of the redemption. The reconciliation was the removal, the instrument of the removal of that sin, you know, between us and him. And then the redemption allows us to do what? If something's redeemed, it says this, deliverance, liberation procured by payment of the ransom. So after the ransom was paid, what came to us after that? The freedom. We were no longer captives. Okay? So in that case, thinking about what that means, that allowed us to do what? If, when we were captive to death and hell, we didn't know very much about God, right? As the wisdom and understanding came to us, did that allow us to go now to where we can attain to this? Perfection. So, are we all perfect right now? Think about what I'm asking. Have you reached that perfection, the perfection of God now? Yeah, in the finished work, it's been done. But what allows us to go on to perfection? Because he redeemed us and he already paid the ransom, now we can walk. Our soul can become regenerated and come to a place of perfection. Now we can walk the walk of perfection until we become perfect. Didn't he say, be perfect in heaven as your, uh, be ye perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And we say, that's impossible. That's what, what our mind tells us. No, what we're talking about is the journey with God. If he's already done the redemption and paid the ransom, the propitiation has been done. Now we can walk. Our soul can walk in that pathway to become perfect. What we say is that each aspect of that soul has to be regenerated. But when all of them are regenerated, what does it come back to? A spirit which is a, a one. Have we reached perfection? That's the key. This is what God allows us to do. So this redemption allows us to walk the walk of perfection. We can keep walking, learning, being taught, allowing God to, to bless us with wisdom and understanding. As we walk, our faith is increased. We trust God. We're obedient. All those things are working. As we work, are we heading toward perfection? Yes, we are. That's what we're heading toward. All of those things are why it's so important for us to gather together, for us to believe the things that God has said about those things, about trusting him, you know, about listening to him, about him giving us wisdom and understanding. So all of these operations were performed when he was on the cross. This is powerful. So when he shed his blood, they stuck the spear in his side. What came out? What is that? What is it for? What is the blood and water for? Is the life of Christ. We, we start living the life of Christ, right? And then what is the water for? Washing of water by the word. That came out of him. It came out of the anointed one. It came out of the Christ for our benefit. So if he was crucified in us, which he was, every one of us crucified him in our world. And when that happened, when that soldier stuck him in the side, I don't think he realized what he was doing because forthwith came blood and water. Where else does it talk about his blood in the word? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. What is that? We call it the what? What service do we call it? The communion. Why do you think it's called the communion? It's the communion because of what? What are we partaking with him? 
Yeah, his life and his word. He is that body, right? He is that bread. We, we have bread and we have wine, don't we? The wine typifies his blood, which is his life. And the bread, which is he is the word of God. I am the bread of heaven that came down. You know, you eat of me. This is what you need to do. But man doesn't live by just bread alone, but by every word that cometh out of the mouth of God. Yes, he is the word, but there's there more word that God is giving us now. Some of the stuff we're learning now, you can't open a book and find it. You see where we're going with this? So we have to believe on every word of God that he gives us. Is God giving us word from heaven right now? This is what we're talking about. You have to believe that. You have to walk in it. As God guides you by this word, then you can walk in an assurance because these other operations have been done. When he shed his blood, look at what he said, some of the sayings he said on the cross. You know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What part of him was crying out of that? The flesh. Because that had to be overcome. That, the complete dominance of the flesh, even to going to death. You know, some of us say, oh, <laughs> that wouldn't have been me. I'm not going to get up there and die. <laughs> you see what I say? We say that. But Christ, he said, for this purpose came I into the, the world. I came to die. That's the powerful thing. I came to shed my blood. Well, none of us wants to go around shedding blood, you know, having something cause us to bleed. But he said, that's my purpose. I came here to do that. I came here to give my life. But he also had a commandment from the Father. Where did the Father tell him? You lay it down, but my commandment to you is to take it up again. And he did, didn't he? He laid it down and took it up again. So it's not the death of what men say in this world, huh? This is a different type of death, isn't it? And do you think the blood is a different type of blood? This blood that he shed brings forth righteousness. It judges the wicked. You have the blood of Christ on you. The wicked doesn't want to have anything to do with you. You're covered by the blood, you know, and it's, oh, I see the blood of Christ, so now I don't want to mess around here. That's if you walk in that righteousness. That's if you're clothed with it. That's if you're gowned with it. Remember Joshua the priest was standing there, and he had filthy rags on as clothes, right? And Satan was standing next to him. Oh, he's gloating because I got those, those gowns to be filthy. But then an angel of the Lord pops up, doesn't he? And what does he do? He takes that garment and makes it white. Now Satan's frustrated. Now he can't stand there anymore. And then Joshua stands, the priest stands before God in white robes. Isn't that powerful? So Satan's going to always try to be there when you try to make a change. Isn't that true? Try to do what's right, he's going to be there. We, we have many names for things that confront us. Try to do right, the man of sin is there, isn't it? Um, just remember another prayer request. We pray for my son, Sean, for understanding. So pray for him. Um, but anyway, and pray for Steve also, Steve Atkins. Um, but um, there's a lot of things that are going on right now. And we believe that they're going on because God's stirring waters. Uh, I had a, if you want to call it a vision or whatever, about that, that dragon and that serpent moving so freely through the waters. And he was angry. He was knocking things out of the way. He was going through those waters. He was very agitated. And I'm, it was a wonder to me. You know how they said a wonder? I just looked and said, wow, that's a wonder. Look at that thing. And it was huge, you know, it was going through the water, and it knew it had authority in those waters. And it was just 
going. It was angry. It was like it was snorting and, you know, like you would see a bull or something doing that, but in the waters. And, and anything that came near him, he just knocked it out of the way. He was very agitated. And I wondered at it. But then I looked above, and there was an angel that was stirring the waters for someone. And he was stirring the waters for him, and that's what was agitating this thing below because he knew he couldn't do anything against it. So he's trying to exercise his authority where he does have authority. And he was just busting things, snorting, whatever. But that angel was doing his job for this person. And then at the end of it, I realized it was me. God was showing me that he's going to take care of that thing in my world. That's very powerful because I know that serpent, that dragon, thinks he's untouchable. But he's not untouchable with God. So I watched this in wonder, saw all of these things, and then realized at the end that God was intervening for me. My angel was stirring him up. Something God's going to do for me to overcome every work that that thing tries to put forth. Here's what I want to tell you. If God will do it for me, who else will he do it for? Your mind and your heart has to be on this thing of having the enemy defeated. God will judge the wicked. That was the shedding of the blood. God already won the victory on that. Uh, somebody said that uh, he crucified the old man. I think it's Romans chapter 6. Uh, read that part. Uh, that's what we've been fighting against, that old man and his lusts and his conceits and all of those things. Haven't we been fighting against that? Isn't that what we fought against? Isn't that what the fight is against, that old man that wants to act a different way, the one that wants to draw us into sin? The old man, I think the old man and the man of sin are the same thing. There's, there's the one that you're dealing with, and that's the one that's been around for a long time, for generations, and he's the old man. You see, what he's always done this to many people, many nations, many different places. He is that old man, but he's the old man of sin. With, crucifying that with its affections and its lusts is what God is doing. So what does it say? Is, is it Romans 6? What part does it say that? Romans uh, 6 and 5. Okay, go ahead and read that. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall also in, be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Wow. Think about that. So when he was on the cross, did he already get rid of the man of sin? Because he was crucified with him? Yes. So then why are we still struggling? If he got rid of that on the cross, that was his purpose for coming. Didn't it say he was manifested to destroy the works of the devil? That's true. So why are we still struggling? What is it that we struggled? What did we allow to happen? Yeah, maybe unbelief. We allowed our world to be defiled by it again, didn't we? Oh, he performed the work. But now what we have to do is go through the experience of doing what God told us he was going to tell us to do. We are going to come against the wicked. And we're going to overcome all of those things that come against us so hard. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's hatred and anger, offense, whatever. We're going to overcome those things. We're going to overcome the pride. We're going to overcome all of those things that hold us back, the lusts that work in our life. We have to overcome those things. And God's going to bring them forth. In the stirring of those waters, remember I said that thing was agitated. So what's he going to bring forth? All the things he thinks he has power over. But it's already been decided because my angel's going to take care of it. It's already been decided. He's going to stay agitated as far as I'm concerned. 
because we're coming against the wicked. So what happens when the waters get agitated? Does someone get healed? Oh, yeah. And healing is not of a body, is it? It's not of a natural body. But there is a body. There is a body. Let me read something to you. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So we couldn't even be accepted before God until we were accepted in Jesus Christ, right? The beloved is Christ. So now, like I said, that thing that was between us and God, that blood of Christ removed it, didn't it? We were reconciled, we were redeemed. This was done not 2,000 years ago, but from the beginning. What happened 2,000 years ago? So why, why do we talk about so greatly about what happened 2,000 years ago? Yeah, he actually did it before the foundation of the world, but it had to be manifested to us for us to see that. We see that now. We see what the crucifixion was all about. And let me tell you, the one from the foundation of the world is different than the one we saw 2,000 years ago. He had to do it to show man in a way that he could understand. But in the plan of God, God had done it very simply from the beginning. I come to do thy will, O God. That was from the beginning. You think he just now did his will 2,000 years ago? No, it was from the beginning. I come to do thy will. Behold, it's written of me uh, what I am in the volume of the, the book. When did the book start? In the beginning. What's the book about? Isn't it the revelation of Jesus Christ from beginning to end? So he is that book, isn't he? It's his revelation. Wow. What does it say about, about him being that spirit in revelation? Spirit of prophecy is what? It is the spirit of prophecy. That is the spirit of prophecy. Is the whole book prophecy? Yes, it is. Was this, is it Second Peter one twenty one or something like that? It says that's where it is. It is. The whole book is prophecy. So the prophecy of who? Of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. Alpha and Omega. You see how this works? So it's all about him. So as we enter and walk in that prophecy by faith, because we didn't know anything about it when we fell from sin, we didn't know anything. But now that we're learning once again, now that we're coming into the wisdom and understanding, as God opened a pathway, we're no longer captives to what held us before. Now we can walk toward perfection because God made a way for us by performing these operations. I call them operations because he's working on the sin-sick soul. Not an operation of the body. Not even the, the healing is of the body. It's of a body, but it's not this body here. Everybody looks for the physical healing. You know, when something goes wrong, you want to get the physical healing. But what about the healing of the spirit that has to take place before you can enter into the kingdom? Because if it doesn't take place, you don't enter into the kingdom. It's as simple as that. That's powerful, huh? You have to understand that's what it's about. So, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. I like that. The mystery of that will that he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, 
he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Wow. So heaven and earth gathered together into a one because of Jesus Christ to him, right? That's what we're part of, guys. We're part of a great operation. God's operating on our spirit. He's the great physician, the great doctor. He knows what to put in. He knows what to take out. He knows how to do it spiritually. And then we can grow thereby. He knows when to heal us. And he also knows when to wound us so that we can stay in that position to learn something and then heal us. It's very important. Sometimes God says, I'll give you to your parable. And when we get sick and tired of it, then we say, we cry out. And God says, okay, I, that's what I was waiting on. Because sometimes we're stubborn, aren't we? Sometimes we want to walk our own way. We want to do our own thing. God said, I'll let you do it. But you're going to find out that without me, it's wickedness on that other side. And that's all you're going to walk into. You're going to walk into all kinds of confusion. You're going to walk into all kinds of pain. You have to bear heavy burdens, whatever, because that's what you chose. But now if you choose me, then this is going to be a little bit different. This is your challenge to choose him above everything else. The wicked may flaunt their power for a while, but at the end, they also know that God wins. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Did you come to torment us before our time? Yeah, they know. Even the, uh, the devils know there's one God, and they tremble. They know. So since they know this, you should put them in fear. You know why? Because you say, I'm going to walk as Christ walked. I'm going to do what he did. I'm going to be obedient to the Father, too. I'm going to do everything the Bible tells me to do. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to walk in God. I'm going to build my faith. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do the things that God has asked me to do because I love God and I believe in him. This belief is the powerful thing. If we can believe with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, what else do we have anything for? We don't. You got to believe it that way. You got to believe that that's how God wants it to be. Wait a minute. You say, wait a minute. Of course I know that's how God wants it to be. Well, we don't live that way all the time. What we have to live like is like, God, this is what you want. So this is what I'm going to yield to. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to obey. And we start living that way. Then you see changes in everybody's heart, mind, and soul. The soul gets what? Regenerated. Every aspect of it. Well, is there a work? Is there a patience that we need for every aspect, you think? Man, we have, may have to go through the wife for two years. Then the next thing we go through the friend, another two years. And then we may have to go through the brother, another two years and whatever. I'm just using numbers. And I'm just telling you, this takes patience to overcome those things that come into those aspects of the soul. This is what God wants us to, but that's what the shedding of his blood was all about, is to save the soul. Very important stuff. Let me take you to something else here. Did I do the Colossians 1.14? I don't think so. Let's look at this one. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So who, who qualified us to be able to partake with the saints in light? Who made us meet? Who, who qualified us? Who helped us to make it? He did. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Wait a minute says, who hath delivered us? Have we been delivered? This is present tense. Have we been delivered from the power of darkness? And has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, 
even the forgiveness of sins. This is the second time it's mentioned that, hasn't it? Redemption through his blood. What if he hadn't shed that blood? What if the man hadn't stuck the spear in his side? What if he hadn't been nailed, hands and feet? All of that blood, the crown of thorns on his head and the blood coming there, all of that blood was for our conscience, was for our soul. It was for us to be redeemed. Everything he suffered was that. I'll tell you a good thing to read. I hope all of you read it after we leave today. Read uh, um, Isaiah 53, and it will tell you by prophecy all the things he suffered and what happened. Isaiah 53 is powerful. You read it and see what Jesus had to go through for us. Not because of him. Didn't it say he was bruised for our iniquities? The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He went through all of that, the innocent for the guilty. He took on sin when he had no sin, but he did it for our sake. So that must have been a great love, huh, for him to do that. Let me read another thing to you here. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So whose tabernacle was that? Not made with hands. Not a building. It's Christ, isn't it? Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Wow. Purge your conscience. I, I think about this. Jesus was the sacrifice. He was the priest that offered the sacrifice. He was the God that received the sacrifice and removed all that he fulfilled it all. He fulfilled it all. He started it off and said, I'm going to do this myself. This is not a priest that had to offer for your sins every year like it used to be. Once and for all, he purged our sins. Wow. But we just have to partake of that in belief and trust and obedience and walk that way as if we know that for an assurity. Isn't that true? And not to walk as if we've been defeated or to walk like we're weak, but to walk in the strength of what God has done for us. That blood was very powerful, and it still works today. What is that song? Uh, blood that he shed from day to day. It's still what? Is that power of it still going? Still feeling the power of it because it's everlasting life. It's the eternity of Jesus through his blood, isn't it? His life is eternal, isn't it? So that's going to be eternal with us always. It'll always be there. That the power of that blood and what it did and what the cleansing of it is always going to be there. Can we always be cleansed? Yes. Can we always be made righteous? Yes. Because the blood is continually working. The power of it does not cease. This is what was given to our conscience, our inner man, our world, so that it continues to work. Very powerful thing. And then here's the other thing I wanted to read. This will probably be the last one. Something came to me this morning. I got to 
called dairy. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Didn't we just say that's what the liberty we had? We've been removed from captivity. The ransom has been paid. Delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the what? First fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Don't think of this body. Think of the spiritual body. The spiritual body that's part of the body of Christ. That's going to be a redemption that's going to happen. There's going to be a resurrection, and it's going to complete that redemption. The redemption will be fully completed by the time we come to that place of perfection and we're resurrected unto God. It's all complete then. Isn't that powerful? But as the journey goes, we're walking into perfection now, aren't we? We're still walking, still making our way, and we have to be solitary in our thought. We're going to make it. Not many thoughts trying to pull us other ways. Solitary thought. We're going to make it to the one. We're going to make it to Christ. We're going to reach the end of our journey. That's what you want. Solitary thought. Solitary purpose. That's what you're going to do. Isn't that powerful? So, to wit, the redemption of our body. I'm waiting on that. I know it's going to come. And I have a lot of excitement about it coming. The fullness I'm talking about, the completion of the journey. It's already happened in prophecy, right? So now I want to experience that whole thing going all the way to the end. Is there a judgment for the wicked, guys? Yes. They, they may, you know, bluff and brouhaha and, you know, try to act like they have authority over you and all kinds of stuff. And you may even be scared for a little bit. But you have to understand something. They don't have it. The victory is going to be yours. They have a little bit of authority now, and that's only because you give it to them, either through fear or how you look at it or how you perceive it. But if you can perceive the right thing, they won't have any power over you. There is a judgment for the wicked, and God does not play when he talks about that. There will be a place for them. They shall receive their reward for what they were actually what they are right now and what they will be, how they work with us now, you know, past, present, and future. Oh, they'll be around. Just like Gary said, we can get rid of it in our world, but do we have to start facing again in somebody else's to help them? Oh, it's going to be around, huh? But they won't have any effect on us. If we have the right thought, if we follow the right journey, no effect on us. Isn't that cool? But then we have to help somebody else that it's having an effect on. Simple as that. What do you think the pastors are here for? Why do you think that's important that we edify the church? Why do you think we counsel? Why do you think we preach wisdom and understanding from heaven? What's the purpose of it all? The fullness of that redemption, man. Getting you to the place you need to be and overcoming every wicked thing that tries to overcome you. Isn't that powerful? Anybody have any questions for me about what I said today? Don't think it's impossible. What's impossible with man is very possible with God. I'm in too bad a shape. I can't. No, uh-uh. 
God, if, you, if you're worse than Paul, somebody here tell me, anybody here worse than Paul? Paul told you how bad he was. No, God can do it. He can change you from the man of sin and to be the greatest apostle in the whole world. He can do that. It takes you giving yourself to him for it to work. That's the only way it's going to work. That's the way it'll overcome weakness and sin and whatever else that might be there. Fear, everything. It'll overcome it. Does that make sense? Anybody have a question for me? Or a comment? If not, we're done, guys.